Thank you, Daniel, and the worship team for leading us. So we're coming into the last chapter of the Gospel of John, and all this time we've been in John, this really long time, we've been building towards this key verse that's been on the slide so many times that you guys aren't reading it anymore. You're just like, yep, it's that slide again. Uh, this is what we ended on last week. This is the verse right before we're going to read today. And we were building towards it, but we're not ready for today's sermon if we don't really take hold of this. And so I'm going to explain this quickly, and then we're going to have a prayer time where you have a chance to say, like, yeah, I'm in on that. Because if we're not in on this verse, then we're not ready for John 21, okay? So this is the very end of John chapter 20, verse 31. It ends with, here's John saying, here's the reason I wrote what I wrote. And he says that you may, what does it say there? Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I didn't make you guys read life there because I thought it might be too small print. But believe in life. I wanted to emphasize those, right? It says that Jesus is the Messiah. Like he's the Savior and King. And that if we believe, if we trust that Jesus, I desperately need your help. I can't fix myself. And Jesus, I, I can't be king or queen of my life. Like I'm handing over the keys to you. If we trust Jesus with that, then our whole life can be in Jesus. It can share in his divine life. So before we get to John 21, I want to know that we're in on that, not with some like, oh yeah, that seven-year-old I used to be, he was a sinner, right? I want it to be Jesus, I need you to be my Messiah. I need you to be my Savior in the present. And I need you to be my King in the present. So I'm going to lead us in a simple prayer. I'm going to pray kind of slow you can repeat the words in your mind, and that helps you focus, but the real thing is like, what are you saying in your heart to Jesus? Okay, let's bow our heads and pray. Jesus, I need your help. I'm not good on my own. Please save me. Jesus, I need your direction, not your advice to consider, but I need you to tell me what to obey so that I can live right. And Jesus, I need you to empower me to obey. Jesus, I'm giving you what I have. Please make my life new. Help me to live by trusting you. It's in your name I, I hope and pray, amen. Now, there's a lot of ways to connect with Jesus in prayer. The specific words I used aren't important, but our relationship with Jesus never outgrows that we need him to save us and to tell us what to do, right? Like we never outgrow out of that, right? So that's how, gospel, that's how John ended chapter 20. And this last week, I was talking to somebody who was hungry for a certain way to get to know Jesus, to have life in his name. 
And today's sermon is going to be about really trying to give you guys, here's some different avenues of how you take a step further in trusting Jesus and living with close to Jesus. Because every day that goes by is this opportunity to get to know Jesus better, to fall more in love with him by seeing him better, to become more like him. And our days stack up, and they turn into weeks and months and years and decades. And sometimes we're not becoming more in love with Jesus. Sometimes we don't really know Jesus better than we knew him a year ago. Or sometimes we see that we're not being loving to others better than we were a year ago. Right? It's not okay to not keep growing closer and closer, right? So... We're going to take a bunch of different stops along the way, so don't, if one of these isn't for you, that's okay. But the first thing that I want us to talk about before we jump into this passage is the discipline of study. I had somebody, a church member, talking to me this week about kind of an academic or like a mental approach to trying to get to know God better. And he was saying, you know, we don't do enough of that at Maywood. And I thought I would just give you a a piece if you want to go further down that road. So we go to this next slide. Uh, when I was getting ready to preach on John, Bob, Coach Bob had given me a recommendation of this commentary. It's called The Gospel of John, and it's by Frederick Bruner. And so that's been helping me a lot as we preach through it. If you really are saying, like, I love Jesus, but I, I want to read a good book to get to know Jesus better, understand John better, this commentary does a great job of looking at what have a bunch of Christian leaders said over the centuries about John. So here's a little, some of the details you'll get with this. And for some of you, you're going to hear this and be like, I, I'm not very interested. You know, that's okay. We're going to hit it quick. But there's some interesting stuff. Like if you pay attention in John 21 and previous chapters, you realize like it kind of feels like the gospel of John actually ends in chapter 20. And it feels like John himself and some other people or added on like an appendix or an epilogue later. You know, there's this weird phrase of we towards the end of 21 as if multiple people are helping write this last chapter. Uh, There's some phrasing and different stuff that comes up. Uh, But you also get a lot of details about what do the Greek words mean and all of that. Now, here's something I like about Bruner as opposed to some other commentaries I've read, is that some people spend a lot of time studying, 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 but along some way along the line, they've stopped trusting Jesus. Whereas Bruner, you can tell, like, Bruner believes that Jesus really walked around and Jesus really got up out of the grave as somebody you could see and touch. And so that trust informs this, like, really smart and really dedicated look. So if you're into that sort of thing, that's one way to use your brain to try to get to know Jesus better. I don't think Darren's here this week. I sat with him in Sunday school last week, Darren Jackson. But if you're like, I'm not really into reading giant books, you know. Darren just camped out in John 21 that we're about to look at for, a, for months, like obsessed on Jesus through John 21. And if you're more the like, I'd rather, you know, go up to Inglewood Cafe and have a long talk about Jesus than I want to sit with a book for a long time. You could do worse than saying, like, Darren, tell me about John 21. Tell me about Jesus from that chapter. And Darren's not the only person that's really invested in the Bible, but 
You could be open to that, of like, I'm going to study this book, this Bible, because I want to use my brain to get to know Jesus better. That's one avenue, right? But whether you're reading books or going to breakfast with Darren, you don't have to do those things to get to know Jesus, right? We can just read together, and if we come with a vulnerable heart, I think Jesus will meet us here with what we're going to read today, right? So if you've got a Bible, please turn to John 21. And I'm going to take us through this. I'm going to try to kind of poke you along the way to say, hey, let's really imagine it. Let's really picture what this would have been like to experience ourselves. And then when we get to the end of it, I'm going to give us some real practical stuff of how do we actually trust Jesus in a way that helps us have life in his name. So John chapter 21, starting in verse 1, says, Afterward, this is after Jesus' miraculous appearings to his disciples, on Easter day and then the week after Easter with Thomas. It says, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way, verse two. Simon Peter, Thomas, who I'm thinking like doesn't wanna miss anything now that he missed out on seeing Jesus the first time, right? So he's hanging close. Thomas, also known as Didymus. Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee. The sons of Zebedee, that's the first time we see that phrase uh, in John. Uh, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So at least some of these guys are professional fishermen, and Jesus has risen from the dead. He's given them this great purpose and mission. He's empowered them to go. Uh, They do still have to eat, though, right? And at least Peter and some others thought, like, let's go back to fishing at least some of the time. But they're up all night fishing and they catch nothing. And that word nothing in English or in Greek both, it's the same word as John 15, five of Jesus told his disciples, you remain in me and I in you and you'll bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. And here, these disciples are up all night, I'm sure frustrated, if you've ever been up all night doing trying to accomplish anything that didn't work out, but especially Fishing, you know, it's frustrating, right? Trying, 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 and nothing. Verse four, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. I wonder this week if somebody was like recording your life with like a divine inspiration, could they say, Jesus was right there next to Alan, or Jesus was right there next to Mary, or Joy, right? but maybe not seen this last week, right? So Jesus is there, but at first they don't recognize him. Jesus called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Not the question maybe you want to be faced with if you've just failed all night. No, they answer. Jesus said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So these guys drag this giant net weighted down with lead weights. Picture doing that. Like you've tried and tried and tried and now you got some stranger on the shore telling you to try again, but they do it. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Picture that in your mind. Picture you've been fishing all night. It's early in the morning. It's just starting to get bright, right? It's maybe that gray light before it's yellow or pink or anything else. And think about when you feel that first tug, but you've been up all night. Do you think like, is that real? (laughs) 
right? Like, are you even trusting yourself when you first feel it? But then pretty quick you know, right? Because I mean, this is the biggest catch. If this is this huge catch? You know, like, whoa, there's excitement, there's yelling. Verse seven, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. Peter is very quick to do big, bold stuff. Sometimes it gets him in trouble, but right here, he goes from stripped down almost naked to like grabbing his clothes and just jumping off the boat, right? I feel like everyone else is left there holding the nets, and he just wants nothing else than to be close to Jesus. Verse eight, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. When they land, so they're towing the fish, though, right? Like they're not strong enough to bring it up into the boat. Um, When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. So, we're going to come back to verse 9. Verse 9 really stuck out to me this week. We'll come back to it. Though. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Jesus has already made breakfast, but he's like, I want to include you guys on what you just accomplished with my miraculous help. So he has them bring in some of the fish. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. I don't know how you picture Peter in your mind, but his shoulders should probably be broader than what you imagine, right? Like he must be strong, right? Uh, It was full of large fish, 153, all sorts of weird theories about that number. I don't have anything to tell you about it. Uh, But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask Jesus, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. Pretty cool way to start the end of like a terrible night though, right? Jesus like made you bread over a fire and like here's some bread and fresh, fresh fish. You like, you went from like super frustrated and tired to like just in awe and having a great time, right? Verse 13, this was now the third, or verse 14, sorry. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Lots happening in that chapter. Lots of good stuff could be preached out of this. The thing that jumped out to me in verse 9 is Jesus is resurrected. He's got all power, all authority. And the thing he chooses to do on this particular morning, or at least a piece of what he chooses to do, is to make breakfast. Like the Lord of all creation. Like if you've ever cooked anything over a fire, I've I've never been brave enough to even try to bake bread from scratch over fire, but I've had a buddy do it in front of me with like a Dutch iron stove and putting coals on the top and stuff. Uh, The bread, I mean, kind of burnt, right? I mean, like it was tough to do, right? We didn't know what we were doing. He cooks fire over coals and fish. When I think about all the ways that our normal life is different from the way Jesus lives his life here when he's on earth, like, this is one of them, right? Like, if we got a lot of power and we got something important to say and we got people to talk to who are frustrated, most of our, like, first strategy isn't like, I'm going to go spend a long time cooking a good meal to set the stage for 
interaction with these people I care about. Some of you are like that in a Christ-like way, but a lot of us don't make space to say it's worth my time to make something from scratch to connect with people I love. Like it's a, Jesus is like, I don't know if culture is the right word, like this is a different way to approach your life. And it's real easy to like move on from it and just be like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's different world or whatever, right? Different time period. Our lives are things that we just seem to rush through and we skim the surface and that's one of the reasons we don't experience stuff like what Jesus and his closest friends experienced. So I want to tell you some stories, right? And it's going to build towards some practical stuff. But I've been thinking about my dad a bunch in the last several months because my dad's got pancreatic cancer. Um, but I was thinking back this week to a picture, we've got a picture here of a Seminole, to my dad when I was in elementary school. My dad was working as a printer. I was talking to Ken about printing this week, and that put it on my mind because Ken was a printer to you. So my dad was running all these printing presses Print shops in that era were getting bought up by other bigger places, and so dad kept getting like switched from one job to a worse one to a worse one with less seniority every time. So he's always working nights in this era of my life. Uh, but when I was in late elementary school, I would be the only kid at home, and my mom worked at the Rainbow Center, not too far from here. My dad would get home from the night shift, and we would go decently often, I don't know how often, to this place called Betty's, on 40 Highway, and it was like this little hole-in-the-wall diner. And my parents didn't parent in the exact same way Christy and I did. They were like, oh, you're about to go to school? Here's a plate of cinnamon roll. Like, have fun. You know, like that was the whole breakfast when we go to Betty's. So I loved Betty's. Now, I will tell you, it made an impression on me as a kid that my, I saw my dad work a job that he did not like to take care of us. Like, that made an impression on me. And my dad spent a lot of hours at that job. It also made an impression on me that we just spent time. Doing breakfast. I mean, I did. Um, sorry, guys. So. So what I'm getting at with this piece, though, is. Like if you just do work in a bad job to take care of your responsibilities for the people that you love, like it's not the whole picture. Like you have to make space for just doing breakfast together. And there's probably a lot of sermons and probably a lot of guilt in our own messages about like we should be responsible and take care of our kids. And that's totally true. You should be responsible and take care of whoever's under your responsibility, right? Like that's totally true. What society doesn't tell us very often though, I don't think, and what we don't even tell ourselves is like you need to slow down enough to just do things like breakfast with the people that you care about, with the people that God's put in your life to love. Not everybody you're called to love you even have any responsibility with. But like, 
Jesus, after he resurrects, seems to have a fairly limited amount of hours that he's interacting with people on earth. And it's just so striking to me that he chose to make breakfast with that limited set of hours. And like you only have a limited amount of hours in this coming week, and I'm sure you got a lot of responsibilities, but if you really wanna be like Jesus this week, like you should make a moment of connection with somebody else. And you should see that like if you wanna hang out with Jesus, sometimes you're gonna have to slow down and like have breakfast, right? Like just with him. I'm gonna hit us pretty fast on these last points, but one of them is this super long quote, but it's by a pastor who started a church called Bridgetown in Portland, John Mark Comer. This guy is very similar to John Ortberg, that if you're in Kathy Verbrugge's and Janet's Sunday school class down the hall, they're talking about some of the same stuff. But for a lot of us, I think it would be fine to get pulled into the hallway right here, and if John Mark Comer was here, for him to say this to us, right? He says, but here's the rub. Stick with me, it's a long quote. We're gonna get more pages, but most of us are too busy to follow Jesus. I'm just gonna let that sit. We're gonna go to this next part. Anytime I teach on a rule of life, that's like putting a bunch of habits in your life to spend time with Jesus is what that means. And some of the core practices for life with Jesus, I hear the same refrain or like the same response. That sounds great, but I just don't have the time. I mean, many of us had that thought right after we stopped clapping for Mike and the worship night because we were clapping like, that sounds cool. And then he's like, so who's going to come? We're like, I better not clap now because that kind of feels dishonest. (laughs) Like I'm probably going to be busy Thursday night, right? Uh, Okay, next slide. John Mark Comer says, I used to smile and nod and let the awkward moment pass. But the older I get, the more I feel the courage to push back a little. Sometimes I'll graciously ask, are you really? Like, are you really that busy? He goes on. How much time do you spend watching TV? This usually spawns a different kind of awkward moment. How much time do you spend online or on social media or shopping? So imagine getting asked that yourself, right? I'll suggest people keep a time log for a week. That means you write down how you spend your time. Wouldn't be a bad practice if you wanted to do that. When they do, they are usually shocked at how much time they give to what? Trivial things. You guys, way to stick with me. I'm proud of you. This is a really long quote. We're going to stick with it. Thank you. Stick with me. And on the rare occasion, and it is very rare, that someone genuinely does not have time for the practices we'll get into in the third part of this book when we go on, I gently suggest that they are simply too busy then to follow Jesus. Ooh, can you imagine a pastor telling you that? I guess you're just too busy to follow Jesus. Like that's, ow. I think we got one more slide, am I right? No guilt trip, no shame. Again, not helpful, just an honest appraisal. The hard truth is that following Jesus is something that you do. Now, Comer understands grace. We're just reading uh, in the serve team this morning about like it's only by grace, not by works, right? Nothing to boast about that we come to Jesus. That's from Ephesians chapter two. But it's also true that like you have to participate with Jesus. It's not about earning anything. It's about having 
a relationship, right? Actually, there is one more slide. I'm, I'm stealing thunder here. There is one more slide. A practice as much as a faith. At their core, the practices of Jesus are about a relationship with God, with the God he called Father. And all relationships take time. Like, it's not about earning your way to heaven. It's about the reality of, like, you got to do certain things with your schedule to get closer to Jesus, to love him more. We can't just become a more loving, patient parent if we're super busy all the time and we, like, cram our time with Jesus to where it never fits into a sermon roll or something, right? So... We got a few minutes. I'm going to take you through a few real practical steps. The first one, if you were like, man, I am too busy. I want to get closer to Jesus. First thing you got to start getting good at saying is this next slide. Two letters, super hard to say, right? Because some stuff we like to say no to, right? Like some of you are like, oh yeah, now I know what to tell this other thing I didn't want to even do this week, right? I was looking for an excuse. I can just say, Pastor Jake said I had to say no. Um, But the truth is, if you start trying to be less busy, you're going to run into that there's a reason you have a hard time saying no to some stuff. Something inside of you is either scared or prideful or something, and it's powering your busyness. And so if you really try to clear significant space to make more time for Jesus, you're going to bump into some of your inside condition. You're like, ooh, that sounds tough. What's the next thing, Jake? I don't, I don't want to say no maybe more. Well, the next one is simpler or at least more fun. Uh, did you notice in this one that like Peter, who's like this rock star of like swimming and big and strong, but he just didn't even see Jesus until his friend pointed out. Like, hey, that's Jesus. And so we got this picture of these two ladies. One of them was pointing. Maybe you've already been blessed with somebody in your life who will come to you and say, like, did you notice Jesus doing this? Or did you see Jesus in this verse? Let me tell you about it. If you have a person, like that disciple who Jesus loved, that's already in your life, and you're like, I want to get closer to Jesus, then go spend some time with somebody who points Jesus out to you. Like, that's a blessing. And if we want to get further with Jesus, like, we need to take hold of the good people that Jesus has put in our life. And that could be as simple as like just going to breakfast with them, right? Just spend some time with someone who will point Jesus out to you. Last thing I want to tell you, I would call this the, the cinnamon roll. Uh, I don't have a good name for it. The cinnamon roll rule or something. I learned this as like a third or fourth grader. It's a principle to me. I've kept it in my mind every time I eat cinnamon rolls since then. Uh, but it's a bigger principle than that. I think it's good for us in life. When I was third or fourth grade, eating one of those giant plates full of cinnamon rolls, I had a way I would always eat it because I'm naturally a saver. I'm naturally, like I used to play goalie and soccer and stuff. Like I defend, right? I want to save the best to the last. So I would eat all the outside like dry parts and I'd get all the way down to that like best gooey middle. I can picture in my mind what it looks like on a Betty's plate. Until one day, as like a third or fourth grader, I don't know if I'd gotten some breakfast that morning mistakenly before we went or something, but there came a day where I ate about half of the outside and then like I just couldn't eat anymore. And that was weird. It was not a normal day. But I remember the disappointment 
of like giving that plate back with all the best civetrol like uneaten. And it like made an impact. I've never forgotten it. And I never ate cinnamon rolls the same way ever again. So when I have a cinnamon roll now, I plow straight through it. If I chop it up, I just go from one edge to the other. And why do I do that? It's because like when I saw that plate, little third grader Jake was like, never again. <laughs> like I meant it, right? Like I had made a mistake and I was going to change. And I did change for that, right? Like it's an easy thing to change on. But here's the much, much deeper principle there is most of us approach our life and we think we're gonna have plenty of room for everything good. We think we're gonna have plenty of room for everything good. And if you've lived very long, you realize like, oh, I didn't get all the time with that person that I wish I would've. Or I don't have the body that I need anymore to be able to do that crazy thing or whatever it might be, right? As Christians, we get into this lie that because we're gonna live forever with Jesus, we'll have plenty of time for Jesus later. Betty's with my dad, and Betty's doesn't even exist anymore. Like dad and I couldn't go to Betty's this morning if we wanted to. When I was in my 20s, I was between jobs and I went to South Dakota for a couple weeks to camp with my dad. Something I would not get to do even if my dad was healthy right now with my responsibilities, right? There's certain things I had to be in a certain stage to experience. When I'm a third grader sitting in a booth at Betty's and there's people smoking on that half of it, right? Because it's a different time. I could just sit there and watch my parents and see how they interacted. I could see that my parents were obviously like nice to this waitress who not all the smokers were nice to, that she like seemed a little bit relaxed around us, even though she was super nice to everybody. And as an adult, when I think back to that, I think that poor lady was probably really struggling for tips and happy to have my parents as a table. Stuff you just pick up on, right? Because when you're a third grader and you're not talking and you're just eating a cinnamon roll, nobody thinks anything of it, right? As an adult, if you sit at a table and don't talk at all during the conversation, people think you're mad or something, right? I mean, it's just different. I, you can't have the same interactions decades later that you can have today. And that's actually true for you and God. Like you're in a stage of life right now that you'll never be in again, you know, a decade later or whatever. You can interact with God today in a way that is gonna disappear. It's not that God's gonna leave you it's not that you can't have a good relationship God when you, with God when you figure it out, but there's something good today with you and Jesus, and some of it will be gone, right? I mean, like, just like the Betty Seminole, like, that's gone. It's not that my dad and I can't have breakfast, but we can't have that particular breakfast, right? Don't miss what God has for you this week. Take time to just chill out with God. Open up the space. And then whatever Jesus does is enough, right? Like after breakfast, Jesus has these really important conversations that we'll get to in the coming weeks. But first he just cooked breakfast. And maybe with Jesus this week, you just need to cook something or you just need to eat something with him.
So let me pray and close this out. Jesus, it's easy to look at our life and think we're always going to have enough time. There's always going to be enough room. But I pray that we would dive right into the center, the best, the gooey stuff with you this week. We would have a good time with you this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.